Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Lucky Star Show and Tell podcast, and I'm your host, Lisa Field, owner and director of Lucky Star Art Camp, a women's art and whole living sleepaway camp held annually on the banks of the Guadalupe River in Hunt, Texas. On today's podcast, I'll be interviewing Kate O'Brien. Kate is a multi-passionate, creative, and outdoor enthusiast. In 2019, she stepped away from a long career in commercial interior design to pursue a different creative path and lifestyle. She relocated to her Hill Country historic property, tending to her Airbnb, gardens, cats, dogs, numerous chickens, and longtime boyfriend. From there, she does a few projects each year, particularly designing interiors for the homes of severely wounded veterans. Kate was introduced to tomahawk throwing several years ago on an expedition in the Tetons with her sons and later honed her skills under the guidance of a national tomahawk throwing champion. Texas Hawks was soon launched as an offering at retreats, fundraisers, and corporate team building. Kate finds the activity seems to especially resonate with women, combining stress relief with a feeling of empowerment. Welcome to the podcast, Kate O'Brien. Today's podcast is brought to you by Meadowood Creative. Meadowood Creative delivers beautifully packaged branding that brings clients' stories to life. Through artful design, Meadowood Creative helps you to forge valuable connections with your target audience. Meadowood designs for all of your creative needs, including branding, logos, print, websites, murals, patterns, illustrations, and more. Check out MeadowwoodCreative.com to learn more about it. That's M-E-A-D-O-W-O-O-D-C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E.com. Hello, Kate. How are you doing? Hey, Lisa. I'm great. How about you? Great. I'm coming to you from sunny Las Vegas today. <laughs> this is a Please? my first Please. remote podcast interview. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was in Kansas City last week, and I had uh, the pleasure of unseasonably cool weather. It was in the upper 70s, and then, you know, come back here, and it's a blast furnace again, so. Scorcher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, about to give up on the garden. Oh, me too. It's so sad. I I really I can't I can't keep up with well, number one, watering it. But then you know the the second a bug sees weakness, it just pounce on that plant. I know. So I know. Any little I, will to I wish uh, I wish we hadn't planted thirty uh, some trees this spring. Uh, of course, we didn't anticipate the hottest July on record, but, right. you know, live and learn. What kind of trees did you plant? Um, we planted Schumard oaks, um, sycamores, and poplar hybrids. I love cottonwood trees, but not the okay. cotton, so we found yeah. some hybrids and planted them along the driveway. You know, our place is like 140 years old, and no one had ever planted trees along the driveway, so that was oh, yeah, kind of on my list. That. Very cool. Yeah. So, okay, let's get started with just a little background. Tell us about where you grew up, what you were like as a kid, all that good stuff. 
Okay. Well, I grew up in Kansas City, um, a suburb on the on the Kansas side, uh, Roland Park specifically. The eldest of eight kids in a two-bedroom house, so you can imagine how fun that was. Oh, yeah. Um, it was just me and my four brothers until I was 12, and I had begged for a little sister, got one, and then another, and then another. So um, four girls and four boys. Uh, my mom almost always was a stay-at-home mom, sometimes She'd work uh, seasonally doing gift wrapping or something, but she used to read us poetry and help us with our reports. And she was super creative, uh, wanted to go to the Art Institute, but was, was too shy to do that. And my dad was very funny, a storyteller, um, kind of creative himself. He wrote some short stories and a novel. And so we all grew up very creatively, uh, exploring different things. And when I was pretty young, up until maybe third or fourth grade, I was pretty outgoing and bubbly and, you know, having a good time. And then, you know, I started getting corrected at school for laughing too loud or talking when I shouldn't have been. So uh -huh. I learned to really tamp it down. And uh, it wasn't until I got out of college that I really um, kind of came out of that shell. <laughs> really? And I've been kind of fighting it ever since. You know, <laughs> we were, we were just, you know, raised to speak when you're spoken to and right. sit with your hands in your lap and be quiet. So, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a strict upbringing, but we had a lot of fun. We took, you know, kind of fun vacations. When I was nine years old, my dad drove us from Kansas City to Acapulco. What? Five kids, my mom and dad. He spoke six words of Spanish, which amounted to counting. That is and, epic. Uh, it was, it was, and I'm not sure how long we were gone, but, you know, I, I remember so many things about it, and, uh, you know, he was kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of guy, Yeah. Um, and I inherited some of that. <laughs> um, you know, his, his motto, if something wasn't working out, drop back five yards and punt, so... <laughs> You know, he, he didn't take things too seriously. Um, and my mom was, you know, just always creating something, um, just really encouraged us to, to be creative. And what kind so we're of all, things did she like to make and do? Uh, she painted and. I, I guess oil painting, most of that she did before we grew up and she was, she was crafty. She, she liked to dabble in a lot of things. I, I think her, her main joy was painting though. I remember um, in elementary school, she took up toll painting, which was kind of big back in the seventies. And um, 
she was very good at that. And I don't you know, know she is. Um, that's kind of like I think it's a very old skill of painting on wood, you know, kind of embellishing things like, you know, tea cozies or or whatever, but she was mostly painting on um you know, painting little strawberries or cherries or little oh, dogwood yeah. blooms on a piece of wood that you'd hang on the wall and Oh cool. Yeah, she just she had a great eye for proportion and color. Um so all all my siblings we all do different things. Only one of us is musical, uh but the rest of us have always written and drawn and painted. Yeah. So then yeah. where did you go to where did you go to college? I went to Kansas State in Manhattan, Kansas, the Little Apple. Okay. And that was that was the farthest away <laughs> from uh, from Kansas City that I felt like I could get. Um, I don't know why it didn't occur to me to go further, but you know, I just wanted to get away from people's preconceived ideas about me and uh, get away from, you know, anything that anybody watching me, you know, we were raised to really be very aware that people know who you are. My dad used to say, everybody knows the O'Briens. And uh, so... You were looking for a little anonymity. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, I was raised that it was very important what other people think of you. And that's another thing I've been trying to shake for the past 30 years or so. Um, it's hard. It's ingrained. But, um, yeah, but I'm getting there. And uh, so, yeah, Kansas State. And I went there to study grain science because I thought I would save the world with a new strain of wheat. Um, oh. But it was... I really didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy other people in the program. I was dating a guy who was in architecture and I started to think, man, I wonder if there's any such thing as interior architecture because I really wanted to do adaptive reuse, you know, converting a train station into an office building. Oh, or, cool. You know, what, whatever it might be. Um, so I got into the interior architecture program and it, at the time it was one of only about five schools that had that program. So very technically based, very integrated with, you know, building structures and building systems like HVAC. And I was always kind of fascinated by science and technical things, but also creative. So that, that field really kind of brought all those together for me. Oh, yeah. And it was right there being offered at the school that you were already at. Yeah, yeah, it was it was wild. I, I still remember walking across, across campus near the administration building. Um, I, I think I had just come out of a, uh, a meeting with a school counselor who had given me a career interest survey. And it came out the results were that I should be a technical writer. And I thought that sounds God awful boring. <laughs> what are my other options? 
And uh, so I was just walking across campus and thinking about it. And Shazam, there it was. <laughs> that was so crazy. You know what? That reminds me of kind of a similar story that I have just about one of those Shazam moments. I was an engineering student. And I was just not enjoying myself. Like I, I wasn't enjoying yeah. it. It wasn't, it was all about concrete and it was the civil engineering program at UT. Mm. Yeah. And I just was feeling like it wasn't for me, you know, and that I mm -hmm. was just like treading up water. Plus I didn't, you know, I was in a, in a program that was literally 90, eight percent male and sure i was not i wasn't feeling it and then there was this one day and it's really funny because like it was the very first time i had ever taken any like ginkgo biloba you know what i'm talking about that supplement uh, yeah yeah so because i always kind of felt like i had add but it was undiagnosed and I had, you know, all the things I'd struggled with in school and whatnot up to that point, I was like, I feel like I just can't focus. So mm. I got my hands on some ginkgo biloba from like the local grocery store and I took it that day. And I will never forget, like I can see myself walking across campus. I know exactly where I was. And yeah. all of a sudden, this light bulb just went off in my head and I was like, I, I mean, I literally heard myself say, you don't have to do this. Like you can quit this. You don't have to study civil engineering. You can do something different. And it was just like <laughs> this epiphany that happened. And I, I attribute it to the ginkgo biloba <laughs> helping me to think. Yeah. But it's funny, I, I was, you know, kind of raised a little bit similarly to you in that, you know, I needed to have a plan and, or at least I thought I did. I, I wanted to please my parents, you know, yeah. and, and I, it was just hard to make a big change like that. But I mean, it's not like. I was completely quitting school. I was just changing majors, you know? Yeah. And I ended up being so much happier after that moment. So, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about when you say, you know, you just had this moment. And it's cool that it worked out for you, that there was that program right there. So what did you, yeah. what did you do with that? Well, um... My, it was a five-year program, and so at the second semester, spring semester of my fourth year in the program, I went to Houston and did an internship with Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill, which was an architecture firm that is very well known in the field. It was, you know, I had learned about them in school. They, I think they did kind of the first skyscraper Oh, wow. uh, and, you know, offices all over the world. And I felt so, so lucky 
uh, to go with my friend Sally Fitzpatrick, who was also in the program. We went down there and we had the best time. It was a nine month internship. And I learned so much about uh, construction and doing detailed drawings. We had, uh, we built furniture in school, so we knew how to draw things and, you know, put things together. But, you know, one of the first things I got to work on uh, way back when was a giant conference table for an oil company in Houston. And this was more than 30 years ago. That table cost $100,000 to build. <laughs> um, it had a leather top and, you know, exotic wood and microphones recessed at each spot and just oh, wow. very high-end stuff. Um, you know, worked on buildings that had a million square feet. And it was there that I met the father of my children and my future ex-husband. Oh, yeah. 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 So he was an architect there and um, came back to school and had another year to finish. And a few months after graduation, he and I got married. And you started having a family. Well, having come from a large family, I never thought I wanted to get married. I never thought I wanted to have children. And I waited seven years till I had my first one. So, um, yeah, waited a while, but, uh, you know, that, that internship with SOM was really a springboard. You know, it's one of those things when in a field, when you have something like that on your resume, people take you seriously and, you know, it gives you some, some credibility. So, but it also, made the bar very high for me as far as standards of design and level of detailing and professionalism. So did you ever go to work for them or did you go to work for another firm after your internship? Yeah, I did not want to go back to Houston. Um, There was a lot of crime happening in and around there. And I told uh, my fiance, I would, I would go back to Texas, but I would not go back to Houston. So we settled in San Antonio and I worked for a firm that was, was pretty young, but uh, it was a couple partners who broke off from a larger, well-established firm. And while I was there, I worked on the design of HEB's relocation from Corpus to San Antonio and the historic buildings and renovation of the old army arsenal there um, and some other retail and dental offices, a range of things uh, that were really, really pretty fun. And after a couple of years, um, felt like naively that I wasn't getting, uh, you know, the, the opportunities or the exposure that I would like. So I left and started a firm with a couple of other people. That was the first of several entrepreneurial forays during my career. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that you had a business. Um, 
previously to, you know, your Airbnb and what you're doing now? Yeah, I, I did that while we lived in San Antonio and then, um, we moved to Virginia and after I had, uh, my first son, I guess he was about 18 months old. Uh, the firm I was working for was more of an engineering firm at that time. And they decided they didn't really do interiors. Uh, so they laid me off and I worked for myself until, well, I guess for about five years until I started going through my divorce and moved back to Texas. Is that when you went then, to work for ATB? No, I worked for another firm that, uh, is no longer in existence. It's really, it's a strange field. I remember um, when I was married because my husband was an architect, uh, we would count the firms that we had worked for over our careers. And yeah. out of about 10 different firms, only two were still in existence. Oh, wow. Um, you know, architecture and design is very cyclical. It's very much tied to, you know, oil and gas and inflation and construction, yes. uh, kind of a boom or bust field. I was running an office for a firm out of Dallas. I was running their San Antonio office. They did a lot of AT&T work and some banks and that type of thing. Yeah. But it was very hard to, as a single parent with no family or anything in town, my boys were in two different childcare situations and yeah. You know, I was working downtown, got off work at 5.30, and I had to pick up two kids by 6 o'clock. And that oh was <laughs> pretty yeah. stressful. So I kind of went down a different path for a little while and then worked for HEB for about three years and then moved over to USAA. And the great thing about, you know, USAA and HEB, they're, they're great companies. They're huge companies. And people always need food and insurance. So <laughs> you're not right. a slave to uh, the next project coming through the door. Yeah. And in between there, I worked for uh, a billionaire oil family and did their offices in Bogota, did uh, condos for them for entertaining clients down in La Paz, Mexico, did cool. uh, a three-story entertainment facility for them in Telluride. That was kind of nice flying around on a private jet. Oh yeah. <laughs> Doing a lot of shopping. It's really yeah, fun to spend other right. people's money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So at some point I know that you um, got involved with the Wounded Warrior Project. Will you tell me about that? Yeah. So I use Wounded Warrior Homes as kind of a generic term, which I probably shouldn't. Um, while I was at HEB, I had the opportunity to get involved in designing a home for a severely wounded veteran and his family. And HEB has, you know, they have a number of foundations and they have an arm that is called uh, Operation Appreciation. Okay. And they partner with Gary Sinise Foundation, Operation Finally Home, and homes for our troops to build homes for severely wounded veterans. And I did a couple of these on a volunteer basis 
in my free time (laughs) at work. Uh, And it was really, it was gratifying in in so many ways. There would be three or four of us uh, working on this home. And so I led a couple of teams and, you know, we would break up different parts of the home. I would interview the family. We have kind of a long series of questions about their lifestyle, a typical day, who likes to cook, favorite colors. I show them image boards of different styles. And then we go and design it and purchase all the product. And then over the course of a very few days, it's assembled and installed. And then they come, there's a, they call it a key ceremony. There's a ribbon cutting and they walk through the door having not seen anything but the paint and the tile in their home. And, you know, we do everything, all the furnishings, the artwork, the oh, wow. tableware, the linens. So when they walk in, you know, they, they can spend the night. It's, it's ready for them to, to live in. But we also really try to keep a balance of, um, you know, letting them put their own stamp on it. And, and usually there's a few pieces of art, some photos, maybe, you know, a family heirloom. I've had a bearskin rug. I've had a weird uh, <laughs> leopard chase lounge that uh, one <laughs> family wanted to have in the house. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I ended up leaving HEB in 2019 uh, because the it was hard for the department to keep supporting those projects because they did take a lot of work. Yeah. And, uh, but HEB was still very much committed to that work. And I wanted to find a way to continue to do that, you know, do things that would bring me a little more joy than designing bars and restaurants and mm-hmm. cheese displays. <laughs> and uh, I also had just purchased our place here in the hill country. My son was about to get married. So there were a lot of things I wanted to do and my full-time job was getting in the way. So now I do my own design work, some commercial, some retail, some residential, but my, my main focus and the thing that brings me the greatest joy in my design work is continuing to do projects, partnering with HEB and, uh, other nonprofits to do these fully furnished mortgage-free homes for veterans. That's just amazing. Yeah, it's 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 so special. And um, you know, I'm getting ready to start a project in Waco for a family. It's it's a couple that's in their 80s. I think he's a Korean War vet, and uh, their home burned. Um, and my childhood home burned a few years before my mom died. So I know what that's like to go through oh, yeah. losing all those things and, and then trying to rebuild. So I'm, I'm really excited to be working on that. Um, I think it's going to finish around Christmas time. And uh, I'm able to bring in some friends and family to help, you know, support the assembly of, of some of the some of the furnishings and things, HEB always brings a, a great group of volunteers, either sometimes it's a combination of vendors and corporate people, people from the stores. But uh, I'm able to to bring in a team of people that I bring to the table that 
have certain skills and they really, they really find it gratifying too. Oh yeah. You get to share the, the joy and with some of your, you get to create your own team now. So that's, that's yes. cool. Yes. And you know, it's now I'm doing all the design for these projects. I'm doing all the procurement and it's, uh, it's just kind of an amazing process. And, you know, we end up with 10 or 12 pallets of furniture that has to be assembled. And yeah, well, it sounds like you've had a fascinating career and you're still going. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping at it. Kate, how did you first discover tomahawk throwing? Oh gosh. Well, I think in part, I was inspired by my dad because he was always into things about the Old West and Native Americans. Um, I always kind of had this imaginary vision of living kind of a pioneer life. Um, and there was a, a trip I'd wanted to take when I was a Girl Scout. And you know, it was in this catalog of, of Girl Scout things. And my parents, bless their hearts, instead of saying we can't afford for you to go. (laughs) My mother said, wait until you're older and you'll appreciate it more. So I waited and waited and waited. And uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I took my sons to the Tetons for this trip I'd been waiting for, which was a wagon train trip across the prairie in Wyoming. And it was, it was so cool. It turns out riding in a covered wagon is super uncomfortable. Um, who would have known? But uh, so my sons and I ended up really riding horses more than anything. And yeah. there were these great stories at night and activities. And one of the activities was tomahawk throwing. And we were just throwing out a tree and no real guidance, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, a few years after that, I went to a retreat that Texas Parks and Wildlife was putting on in um, Junction, Uh, along with the Chamber of Commerce or something was called Wild Women of the Outdoors, I believe. And there was uh, one of the activities, one of the classes you could take was tomahawk throwing. And it turned out I was pretty good. We had uh, an instructor who was a world champion, tomahawk and knife thrower, very much a character, you know, dressed in buckskins from animals he had killed and, you know, sewn his own costumes. And it really, there's just something, there was something really satisfying about it because I'd never really been particularly athletic or particularly good at anything athletic, but I love being outside and I love doing things that are maybe maybe unexpected, maybe yeah. not expected for a girl or a woman to do, especially. Yeah. And uh, I like doing things I'm good at. So <laughs> You are really good at it. I like have so loved in watching you start this um, and teach these classes because, well, number one, you're a really good teacher and people um, respond really well to you and your class and um, you're good at putting them at ease. And this is one of those things, like you said, with it being something that is unexpected, it's a little adventurous and people 
can really gain a lot of confidence from doing this. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. You know, you were kind enough to uh, to notice my posts from from when I attended uh, that retreat and junction, and you were also uh, wonderful to provide me with the the perfect targets, the the old cypress stumps, um, yeah, stumps, and as as I started teaching people, I found that I think it's, it is a really unusual activity, even though axe throwing has gotten very popular, especially during right. the pandemic. But this is very different technique and a tomahawk is lighter. And, uh, you know, whether it's a, a kid or a grandmother, they really surprise themselves. And I think the thing, the thing that, that I do in teaching that's different from what you get at, you know, a hatchet throwing club is really personalized uh, adjustments to your technique. And I tell people, you know, a couple of inches this way, uh, a half second sooner or later releasing makes a difference. And they see that. And mm -hmm. when they catch on to it and, and find that it is something they can do, they do get really excited, especially because it's, it isn't something that's based on strength. I have taught a number of men once at a Christmas party where they'd been drinking, and I don't recommend that any more than I recommend throwing it. Yeah, yeah, not not the best mix. But men, most men, in my experience, do not take instruction well. They think they know how to do this, and they're all about the force. And oh yeah, they want to muscle that, it in there. Yeah, and that's that's not it. You know, I think we all have a little bit of an adventurous spirit, and this is something that feels adventurous, feels a little dangerous, and yet it's super accessible, and it really is—it's pretty easy to uh, remove the the danger aspect. Right. So. Right. Which is important. It's very important. Yeah. So, fun fact. <clears throat> and I think I've told you this, but it's been a long time ago. Yeah. The guy, the kids always referred to him as Mountain Man. Yes. The guy, he referred uh, to himself that way. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> he is the grant, the guy who taught you um, the tomahawk throwing skills that you were talking about. He is the grandfather of one of my daughter's classmates. And so my kids got to be around him too. And what a character, what a great guy. And just, I mean, what's really cool is that he's not trying to take it and make it something different than the craft it was meant to be when it was used for hunting. You know, it, it was, yeah. it was a means for survival and he honors the culture and the craft that as it is and as it was meant to be and pass that to you. And I, I love that aspect. Yeah. Of it. It's, it's, it's not, you know, we don't call it ax throwing. We, it's tomahawk throwing. And right. it, it's, it's just, um, it's cool and it's, it's special and it's, you do it very well. And it has become a staple at Lucky Star. I So the first time that we had you come out and teach at a Lucky Star event was 
for Wander in the very first time. Yes. And mom happened to be there. And do you remember? I mean, like, I think it was her first throw, her first try. And she, and we have it on video. That was what was so phenomenal is that we caught the whole thing on video, Jose did. And, I mean, my mom got up there and her on her first try just nailed the bullseye. It was just a humdinger. It was so I know. It's exciting. like, what the heck? She was a, <laughs> she was a ringer. <laughs> she was a ringer. She's, she's yeah. got, we, we've got a little Native American in us, so maybe yeah. it's just part of her heritage. <laughs> well, I remember uh, Katie, I can't think of her last name now. Venable. The llamas. Oh, no, no, Davenport. Davenport, yeah. So her mom also did real well. It She didn't hit the bullseye quite as quickly as um, your mom, but, you know, she's also a grandmother, and she got up there, and, and she stuck it after a few throws, which was awesome. And then her granddaughter, who was like 12 or 14 at the time, oh, my gosh, she tried and she tried and she tried. And she kept going well after we had all walked away. And she just couldn't, you know, I think a teenager, young teenagers, maybe a little bit like the male mind. (laughs) You know, she just, she had it in her head that it was going to work a certain way. And she just couldn't, couldn't quite get that. (laughs) She that shake focus or, or whatever that her grandmother got. And uh, so people get really frustrated when they when they can't do it. But I'd say I've only had maybe 5 or 10% of the hundreds of people that I've taught now who just couldn't hit it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's really fun. And I highly recommend it to everyone. It's it's not for a certain type of person. It's for everyone. It's it's fun for everyone. So I, I just wanted to tell everyone so that Kate's class is uh, Texas tomahawk throwing, and it is what we call a lucky extra, which is a class that is on the like during the afternoon or on Saturday afternoon outside of regular class time. Our regular classes run at least three hours long. So this would be just a session that you would book with Kate um, and you can sign up in advance or you can sign up during the event. And basically how long is it Kate? Like um, 20 minute session, 30 minutes. Um, we have been doing 45, 50 minutes um, to give a little break in between sessions. I may make them uh, a little bit longer this year and put a little bit bigger break in between. I think mm-hmm. we're looking at over 100 people coming this year, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, we, we, may need, we may need some more sessions. We may need a bigger break. But... It's, it's roughly an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and we do it out in the field. It's out in the sun, but in November in uh, the hill country, that's pretty glorious. Kate, how many people do you think you've taught tomahawk throwing to? Can you give it a wild guess? I'd say around 500. (laughs) A few of them are repeats, but I've done, you know, a couple events where, large groups of people 
stream through. I've done fundraisers where, you know, for a set amount of money, you get five throws and, you know, it's, it's raising money for a cause. I've, I've done some parties, uh, other retreats. And so, yeah, probably around 500. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I should say that, um, I mean, you have taken your show on the road big time. You, you've been out to West Texas. You've done lots of different retreats now. And so basically I just want to let everybody know that Kate is available to um, hire to come out to your events. I mean, it could be a big birthday party. It could be anything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a friend about going down to Galveston for a, kind of bizarre thing she has down there. Yeah. Yeah. It could be any type of event. Like you said, birthday party, family reunion, uh, wedding. I've not done a wedding yet. <laughs> um, that, would be, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, people have thrown in dresses for sure. Um, oh yeah. Oh, one of my favorites was the, the when Kathy Ann, she had her cute little dress on, her little, like, baby doll floral dress. And she was jumping up and down after she hit the bullseye. This was that one in also. Yes. Oh, I, love, I love that. We've got that video, too. Yeah. Great. She did the um, the warrior blades, too, which are circular I saw blades that I, I paint. And she was she was a little scared to do that. And then again, when she hit that target, she was just jumping up and down. <laughs> and, awesome. um, yeah. And, you know, when I, whenever I teach tomahawk throwing, I always use a part of that proceeds to help support veterans organizations. Okay. And uh, so I like to use it as a, you know, a vehicle for being able to, to do some, some good. It's a, it's a yeah. warrior's tool and to be able to support veterans and, modern day warriors is, is something that means a lot to me. Oh yeah. It's allowing you to continue that work that you've been doing. That means so much. I think that's so cool. Yeah. And, and okay. this year, I'm, I was just going to say this year, I'm, I'm looking at doing a little uh, workshop maybe on Saturday afternoon for people who uh, want to learn how to customize a tomahawk for themselves. Oh, cool. Um, and show them how we uh, take those measurements and and adapt. It's it's not it's not hard to adapt it to the individual, but mm -hmm. I think we'll do a little hands-on demo of that as well. All right. Well, how can people find you? What is the best way? I know you have your Airbnb, and that website is StonelyRanch.com. Um, well, Stonely Ranch is, is the, the ranch website in general. Right now, I, I haven't, uh, tied that back to the Airbnb. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, on Instagram, it's cozy underscore 1900 underscore cottage. And on, generally on Instagram, I am Kate underscore O'Brien underscore creates. And I now have uh, 
Texas Hawks with Kate, K8, on Instagram for uh, sharing what I'm doing with the tomahawk throwing. Cool. And I'll have all of that in, in the show notes for today's podcast. Super. So everyone can find that written in the show notes. Kate, it's been so awesome to get to talk with you today and to learn more about you. I'm just fascinated by the work that you've been doing. And just your story is so inspiring. You um, continue to do this amazing work that is that goes beyond just, you know, a job. You you've made you've made your work a lifestyle and a gratifying lifestyle. And I, I just think you're one of the coolest people I know. And I'm so happy to know you. Oh, thank you. Well, it's it's mutual. I I so admire what you've done with Lucky Star, and uh, one of these days I'll I'll take the leap to uh, holding some some retreats here at the ranch. But uh, you've set the bar pretty high, so <laughs> well, we'll I can't see. wait. I can't wait. All right. Well, um, enjoy the rest of your day, and and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you so much. Lucky Star is a women's art and whole living sleepaway camp that takes place each fall in the Texas Hill Country. For dates and more information about our upcoming camps, visit our website at www.luckystarartcamp.com or find us on Instagram at Lucky Star Art Camp.